Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the V-Auto Podcast. I'm Lance Helgeson with V-Auto, and I'll be your host for this episode. Our topic for today is reconditioning vehicles in dealerships, and we'll focus on what seems like a growing trend among dealers to speed up the time it currently takes to recondition, detail, and get used vehicles frontline ready so they can retail more used cars. And my guest today is Mike Boyd, Senior Director of Business Development and founder of iRecon, which is now part of V-Auto. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you and good morning. Indeed, indeed. Now, Mike, we're talking here in the, uh, on the 18th of February, so first quarter of 2021, we're fresh off NADA. And as I've scanned the industry, industry press, it seems to me that there's more uh, interest and discussion and coverage of dealers doing things in reconditioning to make it more efficient. And I know that you're out talking to dealers all the time about this topic, so I wanted to ask a two-part question. The first part is, is what I'm seeing or sensing true? And second, what are some of the factors that are driving dealers to this place of uh, interest in improving their reconditioning processes? Definitely, definitely seeing um, renewed interest and dealers accepting that not paying attention to their reconditioning process, their holding costs and their money just doesn't work anymore. So we've definitely pivoted from the situation of where we're reaching out to dealers saying, hey, you know, let's talk about what you do and does it make sense to now dealers are reaching out to us and saying, hey, what we do doesn't make sense and we're not making the money we used to. And we have to focus in on our internal processes or we're not going to stay relevant. So it's definitely switched, which is great. I mean, you're talking to somebody who I remember beating the street, talking to dealers saying, hey, you know, explain to me how you do your reconditioning process. And they just kind of point behind them and say, yeah, we have some people in the back and do that. I have no idea what they do. Hmm. So definitely a lot of interest in how they can control their money, which is great. So let me ask a a follow-up there, Mike. Um, You mentioned that dealers are realizing they're not making as much money. And I guess I want to push on that just a, a titch. It seemed I just saw the NADA numbers, dealership financial numbers for 2020, and it seems like used cars is more profitable than it's ever been. So what do you mean there when you say they're not making as much money as they used to? Well, I think it's a focus on how much should we make. So okay. when the market has an uptick or there are constraints on inventory and the market's a little off kilter, where there's not as much selection, which of course puts the focus on who has the car wins. Mm -hmm. It's a different dynamic, right? But then for the dealer, I think they're looking at how they're doing business and saying, okay, great, yes, we're up in profitability, and yes, we sold a lot of cars, but what happens when that goes back to a more normalized situation? Or what if we cannot get more access to vehicles, which what we're seeing now with the chip shortage and the rental cars not being turned in like they were. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, wh- where are those frontiers that we can get cars at? Well, our trade-ins being more aggressive with consumers. So how do we get more aggressive? Well, we really have to hone in on what it costs us to recondition a car and get it frontline ready because that two, $300 
we can save or where we can change our money-making model will allow us to be more aggressive on getting those cars. So I think the focus is on efficiency, getting everything we can and not just saying, hey, we made money. Well, no, did you make as much as you should? I think that's the focus. Okay, so so it's it's it uh, sounds like a little bit more of a complex uh, calculus than, hey, let's just get cars through faster. There's a realization that if we're getting them through faster, and doing it more cost effectively and cost accountably, um, we'll actually get more inventory through the system. Absolutely. That, because of everything that has happened in the last year, we've seen that the dealerships, like any downturn, um, this downturn was obviously different with the pandemic, but you would have a series of events happen where you didn't have as much access to people. So you would have, and I heard this across the market where you'd have managers doing a lot more things than they ever did before because mm-hmm. they had to cover for people who were off or sick or whatever the case may be or taking care of you know loved ones. So what they saw was that they could do more. And by having fewer people more focused, mm. they were actually able to make a really big impact on that timeline, on how they were spending their money because it's under that microscope and having, again, less people, more hyper-focus, that you really start to look at the way you do things and go, wow, that just doesn't make sense. And then, of course, when you start to sell more cars and you're more profitable and you go, wait, about doing it with less people, less infrastructure, but more of an emphasis on the quality of the work and the people who are doing it, mm-hmm. then you're like, wow, okay, that makes sense. We need to concentrate on that. Interesting. Okay. So you're seeing more dealers that want to, I guess, tame this beast, so to speak, um, and use technology to do it. And I guess I'm, I'm kind of curious, if I'm a dealer and I'm saying, or a manager, and I'm saying, okay, yep, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna tackle this thing, what might be the first three priorities that I should undertake in order to make sure that my effort may ultimately find success? Great question. And it's a question I get asked almost on a daily basis when we're talking to dealers about iRecon as part of the auto. Uh, The first thing I tell any dealership and any group of managers is let's define what our goal is. If your goal, I mean, the goal at any dealership to me, first and foremost, is to sell cars. Mm -hmm. So everything we do in reconditioning and merchandising, all of it is to sell more cars. But what I don't see is a lot of dealerships really defining what their goal is. And that could be, hey, you know, generally we sell 80, so I believe our goal should be 100. Hmm. Or what I focus in on is, hey, if you're doing 80, let's focus in on how we do 80 and be as efficient as 80 as possible so we can find those opportunities to scale. So the first thing is align the team on what the goal is. Really understand and make sure everybody agrees that that is the goal for the team. The second piece- Hey Mike, I'm sorry for interrupting. I was sort of expecting you to say something about, I want, if I'm a dealer and I know it maybe takes me, you know, 10 days, 11 days to get cars ready on average, that my goal might be to reduce that. So is that part of the what a goal should be, or is that a, a, a separate consideration? I think it's part of the goal, but you can't focus in on that. I think you have to start higher. Okay. I think you have to really understand 
and I always use the term the money-making model of mm-hmm. your dealership. So again, what is the goal? Align the team on that because so many times the people on your team don't really understand. Everybody's running different goals. The second was if you understand your goal as a team, okay, how do we do that? What does that take? How much inventory? Um, how many cars do we have to sell each week? How are you going to acquire to resupply those cars? And then when we get those cars, how are we going to get them through? Like, what are those three, four, five tasks, those critical things that happen have to happen in the reconditioning process to sell them, to make them retailable? Mm-hmm. Because that leads to your third one, which is, okay, great. Now we know what the goal is. We understand what that process, that series of events have to happen to allow us to achieve that goal. Who do we have on our team and what do they do and how do they fit in that big plan? Because that allows you to go deeper. Is it great? We have a goal. We understand what it takes to achieve our goal. We understand who we have on our team to help us achieve that goal. And that allows you to start dissecting and say, okay, of all those people on our team, let's say it's 20 of them. Mm-hmm. Are those the 20 that should be on your team? Are they capable of doing what is necessary to execute on that plan to achieve that goal. And it's under that microscope and really starting a little bit higher level and and, then going deeper that it opens up a lot of opportunities. And that's that part, you know, where we talk about, yeah, if I'm at eight days, I want to get to six. Sure, that's easy to say. And anybody can say that because I've never met a dealership who didn't say, I want to sell more cars Mm -hmm. or I want to be faster. They all say that, but I really don't see a lot of dealers. Actually, I should say, I see dealers now talking about and realizing that it's about that big plan. It's about all of us working together, all of us understanding what it truly takes to be successful. And then we can all hyper-focus on those critical things, which reconditioning is a piece of that. Acquisition is a piece of that. Merchandising a piece of that. And we all have to work together. And we can push and pull from different areas depending on what's going on in the market or what's happening today to achieve that goal. That's an interesting, uh, a couple of uh, dots just connected for me, Mike. I'm reminded of conversations with dealers maybe four or five years ago where they attacked the reconditioning uh, and they, they tightened it up. But all of a sudden, you had this highly efficient team standing around waiting for cars because the acquisition side wasn't, you know, was still sort of calibrated for a slower moving reconditioning process. And suddenly that side of it lights up. Now you have to light up the other side. So I I can appreciate what you're saying about making sure everybody's at the table. I, I, I do have a question on your third point of, you know, who are you going to do it with? As you, in your experience, Mike, as dealers sort of assess who they have on their team, um, I'm curious what you see in terms of, do dealers find that they typically need more people um, or even different people? So it is a mixture of all of it. So when I said, you know, the third part is who are we going to accomplish our goals with? Mm-hmm. Um, that's literally everything from the people who buy your cars to the people who recondition to the people who sell them. So you need to look at that whole team because it is a team effort. And you said it correctly. You know, when dealerships focus in, we're car people. We are used to change. I mean, we, we are very actionable when we want to be. If we hyper focus on one area, then that will make 
a quantitative benefit to that area. But if the other areas aren't focused on too, then that's your weak link. You're just pushing the weak links further down the chain. So when you start to look internally at those people, the first thing I tell dealerships is don't go out there and just start cutting people off. You know, Mm -hmm. don't start replacing people because their timelines are X or whatever the case may be. Because if you're really looking deeper, a lot of the times it's the dealership's fault or the management's fault that those individuals or those detail companies or service people or whatever the case may be in your reconditioning process are underperforming. Are they truly underperforming because they are not capable of performing or are they underperforming because we've never level set that there were goals or expectations? Let's be real. Human nature, most people are not going to outperform if they have no idea what they're supposed to perform up to. Our job as managers is to get the most out of the individuals. And it doesn't matter if it's your salesperson or your detail person. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a role that is critical to the success of the dealership and the profitability of the dealership. So the first thing you should do is, again, figure out who's doing what. Look at their throughput. You know, let's get a baseline. Let's find out what are they truly doing. Let's get a little bit deeper and let's play manager. Let's talk to those individuals. Let's level set the expectations to align with our goals, right? Going back mm-hmm. to step number one and then get a firm commitment from those individuals that they understand what it takes to be successful and then find out if they need additional tools. If they need additional tools and your team says that's reasonable, then you provide them the tools. If it's just a matter of after upon, you know, a little bit more scrutiny that it's a, it is apparent that your goals are not aligned and they're not going to be able to do what you need them to do as part of the team. That's when you make a decision and you act as a manager and you either get somebody else or you get additional support. That's a that's a relevant point for life that you can't ask somebody to, to perform if you haven't already asked them to perform. <laughs> uh, it's sort of correct. It, yeah, it can be a vicious sort of circle there. Um, I, I'm curious, uh, Mike, as you describe this, it occurred to me. You know, we both work for a technology company, but I, I wonder if if these sorts of if this sort of thinking is going on and these conversations are happening. And there's greater awareness, greater focus. Uh, could someone achieve the end result of more efficient reconditioning, better throughput without technology? So everything we do when I say, hey, our job at its core is to sell cars. It's that simple. The reality is you can sell cars just by talking to people. You don't need technology. Now, the question is how efficient and whether or not it's scalable. Mm. So what technology to me is allows me to control more, to see and have better clarity into the overall picture, everybody who's involved in that plan. Mm -hmm. And then it allows me the opportunity to scale my operation. So like any business, all businesses are the same. We take raw product, we repackage it, and we resell it. Mm -hmm. That's the simplest form of what all businesses do in some manner. But if you cannot pattern all those pieces, and to me, if I can't go to my computer or my phone and tap in a few things to be immediately connected to what's going on in real time, then how am I going to sustain that growth? So I always use use the term scalability. 
It's one thing to have ups and downs. It's one thing to say we were successful. But if we're successful once and then we drop down and successful again, and then we drop back down, that's not scalable. That's actually your processes and your people saying, hey, your plan's not working. So technology puts everybody's eyeballs on it. It allows you to look for opportunities. You know, those mm-hmm. downsides, those things that aren't necessarily performing the way they should that we have already defined as critical pieces of the plan, right? Our money-making model, then we can say, hey, as a team, how do we address this? Both short-term and long-term, so that way we can scale. If we say we're at 80, we want to get to 100, and we've defined what it takes to get to 100, I want to make sure that as we're marching towards 100, we're building that infrastructure, we're tracking it, looking at that puzzle, putting it together. So when I reach a hundred, we now, we now know how to maintain a hundred. Mm-hmm. And that's what technology does versus just winging it. Because if you're not using technology, let's be real. You're winging it. You are subject to the market. It's a good point. I don't like that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's take that example of, of, a, of a dealer whose end goal is to move the sales needle from 80 to 100, which if, if we look at uh, the prospect of, mark, of the market here in 2021, would seem to be doable given that retail demand looks like it'll be fairly strong. Now, supply is going to be a, a separate sort of issue. Um, but, but let's say that I'm that dealer and I've gone, I've listened to what you've just described. I've gone through these three steps. I feel like I've got a good team. I've got the technology in place. How long is it going to take me to get to that goal? I guess I'm curious on average. Is it six months? Is it three? Is it a month? I don't know if I can put an exact time frame on it. I can tell you that I feel comfortable saying you will see an immediate response from the team. Things will become a lot more actionable. Mm-hmm. You should become a lot more proficient immediately on acquiring cars, both in trade in and auction. Because if you look at how everything pushes and pulls, if we know the market's going to be constrained on inventory and we need to be more aggressive mm-hmm. on purchasing vehicles, we need to put every penny we can in. And the last thing we can afford to do is miss our new car and used car trade ins. Then it comes down to making sure the appraisers truly understand what it costs in time and money to get that car frontline ready. Mm. So that way they can go into that car under that true exit strategy is and that cost of doing business at the dealership. So they can put every penny they have to because it's going to be even harder to replace that car. And if we're acquiring more cars more efficiently and we're getting them into our system and frontline ready faster, we're able to meet market demand at the right time, we're not going to miss the mark. So we're paying what the market is dictating for the vehicle, and we're going to get that car back to the market in the right amount of time to take advantage of those opportunities that do arise. We're just not going to have as many at-bats. So that means that you better make sure you're ready to uh, hit that home run. That's a good point. That's a good point. What, one final question here, Mike. I know that uh, you've been busy with the developers uh, with iRecon um over the last several months and i understand that you're on the cusp of a couple of new enhancements and could you give our listeners just a quick flavor of of what's coming down the pike 
Yeah, what I call the teaser when I'm talking to dealers, because everybody wants to know, hey, what's coming around the corner? Because that's part of the benefit of technology and working for Cox Automotive and Viato is that that's our whole job. Our job isn't to know what's going on today. It's to be prepared for what's going to be coming at our dealer partners mm-hmm. next month, next six months, next year, and then have those solutions ready for our dealers to go after it. So our big focus has been on communication and the people doing the job because it all comes down to those individual people in all those different roles. Mm -hmm. So our big focus has been on vendor management. Mm -hmm. That's that internal service department. That's that external service department, detail, anybody and everybody and really understanding how do they interact how can we make that more efficient? And then how can we give them clarity to self-manage? Because hmm. at the end of the day, I still operate and I will always say that I operate under the belief that people want to do good. They just usually don't really know what good is, which is that, remember that first that first yeah. piece, which is what is the goal? So if we give them the tools to self-manage and really understand how they fit into the plan, I see people take off because it's very empowering. Another big key piece as part of that vendor management, and it all comes back to that communication. Mm -hmm. And it's not adding more communication. I'm definitely not for that because every time I have to stop and engage, I'm slowing down. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have the information at the right time so I can either make a critical decision or I have all the information so that I can make it without being involved with others. So it's really enhancing the way people interact, making sure they have the information of, hey, what is my job today? But also what is pending? So that's a really big one that we've been working on is how do you move people from a take action mindset to a pro action mindset? And what I mean by that is in a simple form, if I said, hey, Lance, I just bought five cars. I need you to go detail them. You say, okay, great. You just, you just bought them. I now just know I can go do it. So I'm working on my efficiency and you're going to, you know, Lance is your good guy. You're going to go out there and get those cars detailed. I have full faith in you. Mm -hmm. But the question is, you're working on those five cars today. What's coming at you? What does Lance have to do tomorrow or the day after? Mm -hmm. Because if he only finds out right when that work is needed to start, you can't get ahead and you can't prepare. So, our big focus is, okay, how do we take Lance and not only keep him abreast of everything that's vital today, but also give him the, that information so he can prepare for tomorrow and what's happening a few days later, even a month later. Nice. So that way he can have, maybe you can have um, extra people to pick up that slack. Maybe you can order that oil filter before the vehicle gets there. And that really starts to compress those timelines and make people, you know, Johnny on the spot when it's when they're at bat. It sounds like it's also an opportunity for the manager to have a heads up in terms of allocating resources. You know, if 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 I know Absolutely. like Thursday I'm going to get 10 cars, then I better be ready for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, you can be proaction. I know X is going to happen at X time, so I understand as a piece of that big plan, I understand my importance to it and I understand my job to be done. Now I can prepare in advance. So that way I'm not 
you know, trying to just react. And that's a huge piece. I really see that's going to be a big, big benefit. Another big thing is interaction among the vendors. So I say the communication is just different levels and keep deepening that. So we can see how people are interacting. We can see where those opportunities are. And when I say opportunity, that means that there's like a slowdown or somebody's not necessarily getting the information. Mm -hmm. Um, if you look at how service departments engage with their consumers off the street, not their internal, mm -hmm. right? Because the service department also is part of the same family as the dealership and they're engaging with them and they're sending them information uh, virtually and they're saying, Hey, this is what we found. This is what your vehicle needs. Well, that same level of communication allowing our dealers to engage with their service departments and their service departments engage with the dealers and say, Hey, this is the checklist. This is that inspection you asked us to do. This is what we found. And these are the things we're recommending. And this is the time that it's going to take allowing that to be served up very easily and really the same manner that the, the service departments are used to. Hmm. That just puts everybody back in their sweet spot. And again, it compresses timelines because it's actionable. If it's sent out, and you do not get the response in the amount of time that is accepted, well, then that's another data point. That's an opportunity to correct. So it's the deeper we get, the better it gets. And again, it's about making everybody's life better. Because yeah. at the end of the day, everybody just wants to do good. So, sounds to me like if that used car manager is focused on acquiring cars and in, in days past, those unauthorized or un, as yet unapproved ROs are sitting there waiting there are that that little pile of paper ink isn't going to be around in, in that scenario you just described. Absolutely, it can't be because that is a huge opportunity on time to speed things up. It's actionable information, all the necessary information to make an informed decision. No different than what we strive for when we're selling cars. We want to make sure the consumer looking to buy the car has all the information necessary to make the right decision to buy our car. That's our job. Mm -hmm. So if you take that same idea and say, okay, well, as we're interacting with those different departments, let's just say sales department with the service department, service, let's look at the job they do because it's all about that job to be done. They get paid to turn wrenches. They get paid to bring cars in, to do certain things, and to get them out in a timely manner. And we measure that in time. So every moment, minute, hour, they have to wait for the approval from the consumer off the street or their actual dealer partner, the used car department, that's time that we're not turning a wrench. That's less time and availability to get another car in there and service and frontline ready. So everybody really is going to be focusing in and seeing how every action has a reaction. And that way they can make it better for the next time around. Interesting. Well, Mike, you've given us a lot to think about here today. As always, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Well, I, I always enjoy it. Thank you very much, Lance. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining this episode of the V-Auto Podcast. Until next time, stay well.